Welcome to the creative brain of Dean Hawk. Get ready to be challenged, inspired, and equipped to become a better ministry leader. Hey, welcome to this edition of the Dean Hawk Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We are in our series called 40 Years of Ministry Experience, and today we're going to be unpacking part number three, and we're talking about marriage and ministry. Now, I'm not going to try and download with you all of the marriage secrets, but I just want to hit some big ideas of what I've learned. Kim and I will be married 39 years this coming fall. What I've learned in that time frame and just hit some big headlines when we talk about marriage and ministry together. So one of the first things, one of my biggest mistakes, one of my biggest misconceptions that I kept thinking it would happen at year 10, it would happen at year 15. I thought it would happen at 20 or 25. Surely it'll happen by year 30. And here's what it was. I thought there would come a day that we as a husband and wife said, we've arrived. We no longer have disagreements. We no longer have misconceptions. We no longer get frustrated with one another, that we walked in this harmonious state of bliss and that bottom line, we didn't have to work at our relationship anymore, that we would have crossed the finish line and now we just know and understand each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it as real as I can. Any and every relationship takes constant work to stay healthy. And the best analogy I can give to you is I cannot expect my workouts at the gym two months ago to keep me physically fit today. To stay physically fit, I have to keep exercising. I have to keep going to the gym. I don't want to become fat and sloppy, and so I'm exercising four to five, six days a week, depending on the week. Well, guess what? In my relationships, I have found that the longer I'm married, the further we go into this marriage relationship, I have found that the healthier we are, the more we consistently work out, exercise, work on our communication, and yes, we're always improving. Our marriage is light years, 39 years later uh, from where it was when we began. But I'm going to tell you that if you're looking for the day that you've arrived, I don't know if it's good news or bad news for you, but it's not going to happen. You're going to continue to work through. You're going to continue to forgive. You're going to continue to communicate. You're going to continue to build a stronger, healthier marriage. And so we still need to read books today to improve and grow ourselves. And guys, I have been working on 40 years for hitting the right tone. You know, when our wives say, I don't like the tone that you said that in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I... I thought I had learned the tone and boom, 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 the, the tone of what we say something in. And so guys, uh, I, I feel with you, I'm with you, but we're going to keep working out. Now, I used to think that the tone range was like one to a thousand. 
At about year 20, I went, okay, it's between one and 100. I'm maybe down between one and 20 now of trying to hit that tone of when I say and speak and do something that, that doesn't come across that I'm angry or come across that I'm frustrated or come across that I'm impatient or anxious. And so, guys, and here's what I believe. This is my opinion. Ladies, don't shoot me down. I think they keep changing the tones. I don't think there's one tone we're ever going to get. I think their tones are continuing to change, and we have to work on that. Um, one of the best marriage books that I've read this past year is, is a book called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. Now, this is a book by uh, uh, Chris Voss, who was a former chief FBI negotiator. And if you, were, if you were held captive in a foreign country, he was the guy that would come and negotiate with your captors to get you, to get you out. But one of, the, one of the big ideas that helped me, I want to I help my brothers out in marriage, is he said, in negotiations, the number one thing that we can do is to have the late night, middle of the night, DJ voice. Hey, this is your DJ, Dean Hawk, coming to you with the best hits of Soul's Sounds of the 70s. You know, it's not your morning, DJ. Hey, you guys, what are you doing? Because that, that doesn't work in our negotiations with our wife. That low, middle of the night, DJ voice will help you guys. That's worth $1,000 right there, guys. And so if we're doing the regular maintenance, if we're working on ourselves and working on a relationship, guess what? We're going to build a healthy marriage. Just like we do the maintenance on our car, we change the oil, we change our wiper blades, we're continually checking our gauges. That's what marriage is. We need an oil change. We need to keep watching the gauges. And when something comes up, a red light comes up on the dashboard of our marriage, we just don't say, eh, ignore it, put a piece of tape over it. No, that's when you deal with it. Because if you ignore that red light, you might be sitting alongside the road with an engine that is, has, has blown because you ignored the warning signs. All right? So that's, that, that's another one. Um, respond to the warning signs when they go off. Uh, second big thing that I want to share with you is the importance of marriage counseling. I would tell you, I don't think it was until Kim and I went to marriage counseling. I'm trying to think back. I, I'm going to guess it was at least 15 years. Uh, I regret that. Um, we have a, a, a policy here at Rock that came, that was developed out of a tragedy that one of our first staff members that we had on staff, on our pastoral staff, when the church was just just a baby, just two years old, one of our uh, pastoral members um, got out of bounds in a relationship with another woman. And sadly, the marriage, the marriage uh, didn't survive. Um, and, and it was at that point that I went to the board and I said, I no longer want to be reactive. I want us to be proactive. So we established uh, several policies. Number one, that counseling would be paid for for every staff member their, and their uh, family members if or when they needed it, that we would cover that cost. Number two, that all pastoral staff members would go for an annual checkup, and that might be one to three visits, depending on what the counselor's seen or, or getting into, because 
just like Kim schedules me for my annual physical, I go annually and, and I go and have all the pokes and the prods and the tests and, and the scans and all of that. Why am I doing that? I'm going to prevent a problem in the future. And if they do find a problem, it's stage one, it's minimal, it's something that can easily be dealt with versus letting a small problem grow into a major problem. That we take care of those things. And so I'm asking them to go. Kim and I have gone. I would tell you counseling has made our marriage healthier, stronger. There are some times that we couldn't agree on a, on a certain item or, or, or how a certain situation was going to be handled. And we said, you know what? We need a referee. Now, not that that counselor would come and say, Dean's right, you're wrong. Not many counselors are going to do that. But they get us to talk through. They help us to navigate the process to unpack our hopes, our desires, and our frustrations. And I'm just telling you, too many Christians see going to counseling as a weakness versus a strength. And I'm going to even up the ante. I say go to someone who is a counselor that this is what they do day in and day out. I can help you in your marriage. I can coach you in your marriage, but I'm not an expert at it. And just as we go medically, I can go to doc in a box when I'm having a symptom, or I can go to the specialist. And that's why I prefer that we pay the money to send our staff to the specialist that does this on a daily basis. And I believe it will make us healthier, stronger, and cut off the attacks of the enemy earlier. Third thing is this, is boundaries. It's crucial that we establish boundaries. And one of the biggest challenges for us as pastors and ministers and church leaders is we don't work a Monday through Friday, nine to five job, and that when we clock out on Friday at five, no one's going to call. Tuesday at five, when we go home, we don't think about work. We don't have to do any work. We don't bring work home. And I know we're not the only career that, that fits in this category, but we are somewhat in the vein of a doctor that if an emergency comes up, we're on call. And maybe we're not the pastor on call, but depending on if it's a death or what the situation is, we still might be called in even if we're not the pastor on call. And so we, 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 can't, we can't have concrete boundaries but I believe it's important that you and I learn to say no. Because one of, our, one of our greatest strengths as pastors and people people is that we enjoy people. We want to help people. We want to bless people, encourage people. And also in that line, we want to please them. And so they'll ask for things and we'll overcommit. Sure, I could meet with you. Yes, I can come to that. And we need to learn to say no. We need to learn to schedule marriage time, family time, and to fill our calendar first with our kids' calendar, with our family calendar, so that when someone, uh, and that's a great way to build those boundaries, that that's the first thing that goes as you approach a new month, what is on our family calendar, so that I don't accidentally or intentionally overbook on something that is of a greater priority, my family, than my job. And so too many times we, we 
have that person that calls and they're in a crisis situation and, and I, I need to speak with a pastor right away. I've got to meet with someone now. This is horrible. This is bad. You know what I've found? I would tell you that 90% of those I have to see someone right now within 24 hours doesn't even want to meet. That if they've left a message one evening and they're called back the next morning, that many times what was a crisis last night isn't a crisis this morning. They're calling in the heat of the moment, the frustration of the moment. Now, I'm not saying we ignore them, but I'm saying we don't jump through every hoop to meet their need because here's the way I would put it. We should never allow someone else's crisis to become our crisis. We are going to navigate, we are going to coach and, and walk them through this. A great book that I would highly recommend to you, uh, the, the series of books called Boundaries by Henry Cloud, and I forget the other author there, but uh, Boundaries for Marriages is a great book, and it just helps us establish those boundaries in marriage and boundaries in life. I would encourage you to read Boundaries as a leader as well is crucial. Um, number four, um, I see this happen a lot. I don't know that that Kim and I, Kim and I wrestled with this as much uh, because of some things that I did that we did that I'm going to share with you in a moment. But I would say in the last 40 years of life and ministry, one of the things I've seen in my church where I've served or my church where I now pastor is I've witnessed countless marriages that make the focus of their life, the focus of who they are, is on their kids. Now, I believe kids are of the highest priority. My relationship with my father God, my relationship with my spouse, and my relationship with my children are in that order. But what I have seen is people have moved their children as a greater priority as their spouse. That whatever the children's need comes before what my husband or wife needs. And what happens is, as I've, as I've witnessed this, is I've watched people put the focus and the emphasis on their kids, on their teenagers, on their sports, on their, on their acting, on their, their uh, swimming, on their soccer, whatever, whatever their teenager might be into. And when their son or daughter goes off to college, especially the last one, there are two strangers sitting in the room going, I don't know you. I've spent the last 18 years of our marriage focused on those guys, and we haven't focused on our marriage. And I've seen marriages erupt and, and, and shatter after 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, because they realize they're strangers and they have nothing in common. What they had in common was their children. And you remove their children, now they have nothing in common. So I'm going to tell you to how to keep the passion in your marriage how to keep the emphasis of your husband or wife as your greatest priority, your greatest relationship here on this earth. And so here we go. Number one, go on a date every single week. One date per week. Go on one date per week. You say, oh, but we, we can't afford that. Phooey. 
It does. I didn't say go spend money once a week. I said go on a date once a week. Go and some people. I, I love this. I've, I've recommended this for years. Kim and I have done it for decades, and people have said, "Yeah, we don't have anyone to watch the kids." So, so on our date day or our our date, we bring the kids. A date does not include the children. So you say, well, I can't afford a babysitter. I'm going to talk to younger ones. Those of you that have teenagers, you can leave them at home. Those of you that have younger ones, you cannot afford not to go on a date. I believe this so strongly, I would tell you this. You are damaging your marriage if you are not continuing to date your husband or your wife after you are married. Simple as that. What would you have done if you were dating your husband or wife and, and about six months into the relationship, all of a sudden your, your future husband or wife said, I don't want to go on any more dates. I don't, I don't want to spend any time with just you. Let's go hang out with my family, your family. And you're like, but hey, I'd like some, I'd like some time with, with just us. No, I like hanging out with my parents and my siblings and your parents and your siblings no, you, you would be frustrated. So I recommend a date on a weekly basis. Get a babysitter. Get a teenager from the church. Get a neighbor. Swap with your, that, that Thursday night is our day night, and will you watch our kids? And Friday night will be your day night, and we'll watch your kids. Navigate it however you need to. Get grandpa and grandma to come in, come over and watch the kids. Uh, adopt a grandmother within your church to be a grand, a, a, a step-in grandparent babysitter to make it happen in your life. The goal is to set aside a standing date day or date time. It's not if we're going to do it, it's looking forward to with anticipation. And here's what it does. In the midst and the busyness and the chaos of ministry and the pace that we run at, the pace that we live, we, we need something to look forward to. And so especially once your kids are in school, what Kim and I had the privilege is she was working in the ministry as well. I realize it would change if your spouse is working in another field and, and working a normal work week. But what we would do is whatever, whether it was Mondays or Fridays, when our kids were in school, that was our date day. And we would always go out to eat. Um, that might be a Taco Bell lunch. That might be we would get a blanket, go sit under a tree in the shade and read our books and hang out and kiss. Find something and make it happen. Now, here's the thing I, I learned from Dr. Doug Weiss that I love is he said, when you're having your date day, he said, every time, every other date, you change who gets to choose. So the first week, men, we're going to let our wife choose. She wants to go sit under a tree and read books. Next week was my date day. And I said, I want to go see a shoot 'em up movie and eat movie popcorn. And then we're going to go to lunch or go to dinner or whatever that was, go to lunch and then the movie. Um, she might choose that I want to go shopping and I want to go to the mall. Next week, I might say, let's go shopping. Let's look at handguns. And, and so we would just choose and we continue to switch off. You get to choose this week what we are going to do. Now, one of the things I want to bring back, we're talking about boundaries. Now we're talking about dating, is I would encourage you that if you need to take on your date day and say, hey, 
Anything we need to download about the church, anything we need to download about the ministry, uh, try and see if you can get that cleared out and then say, okay, for the next three hours, let's not talk about work and, and create some boundaries there around that dating time. And, and if you think of something of work, maybe just put it in your notes in your phone to bring up later, but make the focus and the attention of each other because it's, it's all too easy when we work together in ministry, do ministry together, and we're on a date for those lines and boundaries to become blurred. Uh, here's the next thing, keeping passion in your marriage, is I would tell you four overnighters a year, four one-night getaways. What Kim and I would used to do when kids were, especially when kids were in our home, is we would price line. We live in Colorado Springs. We'd price line a hotel for 40, 50 bucks in Denver, get a nice four or five star hotel for 50, 60 bucks. And we would go to Denver and we might shop. We might kick around. We might hike, whatever it was. I was amazed at what getting out of my city for 20 hours how much that relieved the pressure, how much it was, uh, uh, how enjoyable it was to get away with my bride, to, for you to get away with your husband, to have a, a, a one-night getaway. And I'm going to tell you, it makes a difference. So one date a week, 52 dates a year, four times a year, you're going to do a one-night getaway. And then here's a biggie that I've recommended for years, and I can't always get couples to do it, but that is take one honeymoon per year. One honeymoon per year. And when we're talking about vacation, I know we have family vacations. I know we have that. I am challenging you that I would tell you it is mandatory to keep the passion in your marriage, to keep the relationship thriving, is to set aside seven days. Spend one week of your vacation that you have seven to eight days that you get away with your husband or wife. If that is going to the beach, coming to the mountains, going on a cruise, going to an all-inclusive, going to a big city and, and, and doing a VRBO, whatever that is, whatever, whatever will refresh you, make sure that you choose a place that will refresh you. So example, when we used to go to Disney World with our kids, you need a vacation from your vacation when you go to Disney World because you're just go, 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 go. And it was refreshing, but it can wear you out. So if you do that, let's make sure that you have a couple days to recover, that you're sitting by the pool and just chilling and enjoying your time together. So there we go. One day a week, one, one overnighter per quarter four times a year, and one uh, getaway per year, one honeymoon per year. So guys, there you go. There's a few ministry and marriage nuggets from 40 years of experience. I encourage you to check out deanhawk.com where you can download all of my sermons, PowerPoints, uh, handouts, uh, everything that you need to take a message, make it better, use my outlines, use my personal notes, make them better, preach them to your crowd, and help you as you minister to your congregation. God bless you guys. We're coming back with a special edition on uh, September 1st. We'll come back with part four. We're going to be talking about kids and family in that one. 
Thank you for joining us today. For a free sermon series and teaching outlines by Pastor Dean, visit us at deanhawk.com. Be sure and join us next month as we continue our growth on leadership.